Welcome to the Eldritch Girl Weird Gothic Stuff and Nonsense podcast with me, CM Rosens. This is a bonus episode and I hope you enjoy it. So this is just a fun little bonus episode. Um, we're on uh, chapter three of The Crows now. That's going to be the next episode going up. Um, and I just thought it'd be really fun to explore the town a little bit with you Um Okay, so some content warnings for this bonus episode. Um, there will be discussion of capital punishment, um, which is hanging and flaying, so historic uh, religious capital punishment methods. Um, some historic and religious framing of bad or gruesome events um, in the first section. And if you have a phobia of puppets, um, maybe don't listen to the, the latter half of the podcast um, because... Um, I discuss Punch and Judy in the Hangman's Walk section. So just be aware that that's, um, that's coming up. So what's going on with this town then, guys? <laughs> ah, who even knows? Um, so I've also got this companion short that's 99p. And that's the, the Folklore of Pagamon Sea Volume 1. Um, it's only an ebook at the moment. I'm going to put out a second volume and then put the two together as a compendium and do that as a print version. Uh, when, who knows, um, <laughs> when I um, quote unquote uncover some new folklore, I guess. Um, so I thought it'd be fun to kind of do a little bit of that with you um, as a bonus kind of content. Um, so, yeah, let's see. Um, this estate that everyone talks about that newcomers um, tend to live in is um, a council estate that has a mix of council houses and council flats. Um, it's called the new estate, but it's new circa like 1960 something. And there's a newer part of it that was like 1980s. I've got a short story that's actually set there. It's called The Sound of Darkness, and that's been published in the F is for Fear anthology with Red Cape Publishing, and that came out October 2020. Uh, it's a really lovely anthology. It's full of uh, 13 tales of terror. Uh, mine is tale number 12. Um, so there's that joy for you if you want to look that up on Amazon or add it to your Goodreads. Um, but near the estate... Um, which there's lots of weird stuff going on there. Uh, one of the things is that, um, or one of the urban legends around the estate is that there's something in the darkness and you don't know if that's real or if it's um, imagination. But if you go into the dark corners of the estate, you don't come out. That's That's what they say. That's what they say. And it's certainly an odd place. It's actually got a wall around it, which is very odd for a council estate of any kind. Um, and it's covered in CCTV cameras and lights. There are lights absolutely everywhere. And people tend to wear reflective gear, um, you know, pimp out their bicycles and motorbikes and stuff with um, LEDs and that kind of thing. Um, and it's all because of this kind of ingrained um, urban legend about the darkness? Or is it a legend? Is there something there? Um, and there are lots of theories about 
where this entity, if it is an entity at all, came from. Um, and to understand a little bit more about the history of the area, we need to um, go really far back um, and think about the um, Roman history of Sussex in general, where there was uh, quite a lot of ironworks, Roman ironworks. Um, and one such uh, ironwork was destroyed by a meteor, uh, a meteorite strike. And there's, we know this because there was a small monastery uh, around Pagamon Sea, um, which is kind of where Fairwood House actually is now. Um, and the 13th century crypt is all that remains of that monastery. And it's the, the crypt that's referred to in chapters one and two of the Crows. Um, and the house has been built on top of it after the Reformation. Um, some of the... Uh, some of the documents from that monastery were uh, actually saved from the Reformation. So the History Society managed to get hold of um, one copy of the Chronica Majora, um, which was by an anonymous monk of Fairwood Abbey. Um, Fairwood Abbey is a small or was a small Benedictine foundation of 1165, dissolved in 1532, of course. Um, and the Chronica Maiora has been translated and edited by Harold Bishop um, and published with the Basingstoke University Press in 1973. Um, so here's a slight, uh, here's a small extract from that account. So this is the medieval account of the meteorite strike that happened in Roman times. Um, so we only have this medieval account. We don't know where the anonymous scribe got this information from. Um, but it's it's clearly some part of the oral tradition of uh, the county or of the area. And if it is based on a document, then we don't know where that document is. So this is it, translated by Harold Bishop. In the days of the Romans, a hairy-tailed star fell from heaven and struck the ground where the ironworks once stood. Their soothsayers claimed this as a, as a bad omen, and with the star came a pestilence among the Roman camp, a punishment from Almighty God for their treatment of the local inhabitants who had lately turned to the Most Holy Christ under the teaching of missionaries from Rome. For their commander, Dominus, was a cruel man, and by the influence of the devil, an enemy of the new faith, Christianity. So, sorry, Dominus is not the commander's name there. Um, that's just the term in the medieval account. Um, that's been translated as commander by Harry Bishop. You can take issue with that if you want. Anyway, and he had taken the missionaries, St. Theophilus, St. Ambrosius and St. Justus, to be flayed and hanged outside the camp. And from the place where the blood of these three gentle martyrs collected in a pool, a holy spring came forth from the ground between the roots of the tree on which they were hanged, and many infirm were healed who drank from it. After the fall of the comet, the Roman forge was destroyed, and those who sorry, those who disturbed the place where it fell became as beasts without reason or the power of speech. Just as the great king Nebuchadnezzar was struck down in the day of Daniel, so too were the Romans struck down. Many of the commander's men were heard to howl and snarl as if they were wolves or dogs, and they did slaver and foam at the mouth as though possessed. 
At night they roamed the woods and lonely countryside in the most polluted places, looking for travellers to waylay and to bite at, until their own fellow soldiers came with swords, and others also with swords and spears, and some with sticks, to make a swift end of them. The crater wherein it lay became the cradle of the pestilence that did destroy the Roman camp at its most cruel commander, and thus did the mighty hand of our Lord God strike against their wickedness. To this day, the ground whereon the comet fell is unwholesome and is much avoided. People do not travel there and will not go that way by night. Yet, in the daylight, some bold and foolish men have strayed to the place and taken some of the stones from that place, and washed these stones in the holy spring of the three martyrs, and thus purified them and the stones so washed are said to have healing and restorative properties. But the stones that are unwashed and taken away from the spot are to be placed under the beds of one's enemies, for then the stones will effect a curse upon them. Okay, so there's a lot going on there. Um, Some people say that's one of the origin myths of the werewolves, um, and the werewolf community of Pagamon Sea in particular, but there are actually quite a lot of werewolf origin stories. There's another one um, you'll find in a village called Hanging Stones up in Yorkshire, which is near Huddersfield, and um, that's got the story of um, a black dog that uh, possibly a demon or the devil um, that attacked parishioners in a church, Um, when I think the church was struck by lightning, it's something like that anyway. And the people that were bitten by this, um, entity, um, were then transformed into werewolves. Um, so Hanging Stones is a, is a lycanthropic community, largely. Um, and that's sort of their origin story, if you like. Um, so... Lots of lycanthropic communities around the UK and Ireland have their own um, origin myths, um, have their own understandings of what lycanthropy is. This is a whole other question. Um, The debates about whether it's a curse, whether it's genetic mutation, uh, is it supernatural, is it science, um, all rage within the community to this day. Uh, We're not going to get into all of that at the moment, Um, but that's... that's, uh, that's part of it. Um, there is a lycanthropic community in Pagamon Sea, as I said. Um, we will get to meet them later on. In fact, we did meet uh, a few of the younger members of that community in the supermarket in Chapter 2. Um, but it's not made explicit that they are werewolves. <laughs> um, but they're the, the teens that wear dog collars and things like that. That's part of the um whole kind of uh look i guess it's a big statement i've got some posts on my blog at cmrosens.com um explaining about werewolf fashion and why uh teens tend to choose androgynous punk looks um as werewolves there's a whole thing about that um anyway anyway um the other thing that you'll notice from that account is the stones, the mention of the stones, and these are called Pharisee stones. Um, So Pharisee being the Sussex dialect word for fairies. Um, um, Yeah, so so these are stones that will either curse you or 
um, will heal you. So they, they are stones that have magical properties based on whether or not they've been washed in the, the Holy Spring. Um, there's a whole thing about these stones. And when the estate was first built in the 1960s, um, some of the first inhabitants of the estate, um, some of the kids found these Pharisee stones in, you know, the sort of the crater, I guess, where the, the meteorite strike had been. It's just literally um, the estate is kind of built around it or on top of it. And um, they didn't know what they were. So they took the stones away and brought them into the estate. And this is one of the origin stories for the entity that is said to haunt the estate or is said to um exist within the dark places um and it's meant to be a kind of maybe it's a fairy entity like a dark fae a soul stealing fae um a monster that isn't quite of this world nobody's ever really seen it um nobody knows what it looks like nobody really knows what they're dealing with so there are different kind of stories about this but um yeah, that mention of the Pharisee stones in that uh, medieval account um, has been one of the things that people talk about when they um, uh, when they're discussing where these urban legends actually come from and what could have caused them in the first place if they are real. Jumping forwards um, to talk about an area of the town itself that we were introduced to as a concept in chapter two. Um, Let's sort of think about Hangman's Walk. Where is Hangman's Walk? What is it? Well, um, Hangman's Walk is um, quite literally um, the path that um, people were led down towards the town gallows. Um, obviously, the town gallows um, shouldn't really have been a thing um, past the medieval period, like the Lord kind of did have that jurisdictional power well he didn't really like yeah it's it's um people were hanged anyway um whether or not they were whether or not that's you know within the remit of the law for this particular <laughs> anyway um and you know there were sort of smugglers around that coast as well so um you do have things like the lord being the man the magistrate um and sort of taking things into um, his own hands and making examples of people. Um, you also have a lot of uh, witches being hanged um, because in England they were hanged, not burned um, during the witch hunts. Um, so you have, that's that's where the gallows was and um, um, Hangman's Walk is that street. It's actually comprised um, today of a row of Tudor aged houses. Um, there were obviously older houses on that site, but the, um, the the houses that are there now mainly date from the Tudor period. Um, and they're kind of a row of shops, if you like. Um, if you have to ask what they're selling, you don't, you shouldn't be there. Um, there's no shop names. Uh, there's nothing on the doors to tell you what they sell. Um, so it's hard to tell what's a house and what's a shop. But again, if you don't know where you're going, then you shouldn't be there. That's basically Hangman's Walk. There is one exception to this because it's rather obvious that it's a shop and that it's um, a very old established place. 
and that's the Punch and Judy shop. Um, so if those who don't know what Punch and Judy is, Punch and Judy is a seaside tradition in um, the UK, um, mainly England, I guess. Um, it's obviously been exported to um, Australia and um, different places as well, but um, it is um, puppetry. Um, where the puppeteer is hidden behind a, um, like a, a box type cabinet type thing that looks like a theatre, you know, like painted up to look like a theatre. And then you've got these hand puppets. Um, and Mr. Punch is a wife beater, uh, which is hilarious and, um, is in turn beaten up by, um, the policeman and the crocodile, Occasionally by his wife, Judy, whom he also beats and there's a baby and um, there's all sorts of things. It's all very, you know, this is what you show to kids uh, for a good day out. Um, and um, the the voice is uh, the voice of the puppeteer is disguised by um, something called a swazzle, which you put in your mouth and it kind of creates this um, really distorted high-pitched sound kind of like a kazoo like talking through a kazoo um google it if you if you don't know what i'm talking about um and enjoy the nightmares um but this is what you'd take your this is genuinely what people would take their kids to see like i used to see punch and judy shows at um when i was a kid uh, if we went anywhere by the sea um and they're just kind of a staple anyway so there's a punch and judy shop on hangman's walk among other things um, and there's an urban legend about that too. Um, it might not be the one that Mercy was thinking of, um, but it definitely kind of flavours the place. Um, and I, I read this poem out um, for the Romancing the Gothic author showcase. So that's on uh, Rom Goth Sam's YouTube channel. But I'm going to read it again here. So this is also in the Folklore of Pagamon Sea, Volume 1. Um, and this is, uh, I'm going to read you the introduction and the actual piece itself, and then the commentary on the piece. So, The Punch and Judy Man of Hangman's Walk. This free verse poem seems to have been the origins of a modern folktale or urban legend about the Punch and Judy shop in Hangman's Walk, with several distinct variants attested to by 2010. Nothing can be found before this was printed, and since it was anonymously published, it is not possible to ask the author if they based this on something they themselves had been told, or if this was an entirely original piece of creative writing. The core of the story in each version is the same. The protagonist enters the shop and is, by the end, turned into a puppet. In one version, this is done by the puppets themselves, wishing to replicate. In another version, the puppets are cursed people who need to be replaced by another person puppet to gain their release from their curse. In a third, the attack is carried out by the old man figure, and this is the slasher version of the tale, which generally becomes competitively gruesome when told at Halloween parties and other gatherings. Some versions keep the spirit of the original poem, however, claiming that the transformation is due to the mesmerising effect of the Punch and Judy show itself. The Punch and Judy Man by Anonymous Shh! What's that? The wooden slap, 
the swazzle-voiced cry and the short, sharp crack. Shh! What's that? The glazed-eyed clap, the hollow applause and the rat-a-tat-tat. Passing by, you pause and try to catch a glimpse of... Shh! What's that? Where the shadows and the lamp oil meet, pooling gold in the midnight street, behind the windows thick with grime, behind the door where the horseshoes shine, take good care if you stop and stare, for the hour is late and the moon is fat, and the sounds continue. Shh! What's that? Peering out as you peer in, Mr Punch puppets sit and swing around the window frame inside, red as wrath and stiff as pride. Tangled strings and broken things obscure the view, but not of you. Why do they stare beneath their hats? Why are they watching? Shh! What's that? And now the hair prickles on the nape of your neck. You know it's foolish and try not to check. Don't look behind. What might you find? A painted figure with a crimson hat? Or nothing at all. Shh! What's that? The door is open, so go inside. The man creeps out to be your guide, with a shambling gait and flint-eyed stare. An old Afghan and a dusty chair he provides for you, so sit right there, there in the corner where the space is free, and pay no mind to the patrons three who sit nearby on stools and mats. The show is starting. Shh! What's that? And now late is the hour that you spend in the dusty old shop to the last show's end. But as the sun winks through the grime of the glass, it falls upon gold turned all to brass, and velvet drapes turned quite threadbare. And who is it now sits upon the chair, the chair in the corner provided for you? Why naught but a puppet with a front row view? And like the others with their glazed-eyed clap, their hollow applause and the rat-a-tat-tat of wooden salutes and stiff-boned wraps, you sit in silence, but shh, what's that? The Punch and Judy Man, Anonymous, first printed in the Pagamon Sea Community Newsletter, 4th of March, 1984. The above poem appeared with this article, which also contributed to the urban, urban legends, but is assumed to be part truth, part creative writing. It is up to the discerning reader to decide which part is which. <clears throat> the Punch and Judy Man, as he came to be known, had a shop in Hangman's Walk selling antique sets, props, marionettes and puppets, mainly, but not limited to, Punch and Judy shows. There were 15 Mr Punches in his window alone, and hundreds more in the shop. To cross the threshold of the lair of the Punch and Judy Man, that devoted patron of these seaside shows, one must duck below the iron horseshoes framing the door, and the strange traps of woven strings suspended around the shop itself. Most puppets live in glass-fronted cabinets or are posed inside the sets, which mimic theatre stages. At night, they say you can hear the Punch and Judy man performing the same sequence of variations of the play, sometimes with innovations of his own, voice masked by the swazzle. We speak about the Punch and Judy man in both the past and present tense because, for the last 15 years, no one has seen him leave the shop. There are still deliveries, but few customers. Only those dedicated to this art ever venture to knock the shop door. They say he is the last of a family of punchmen descended from the first English disciple of Signor Bologna himself. It is said that you can still hear the plays performed by the Punch and Judy man at night, the shop lit by three antique oil lamps on stands. The lamps are set around a cleared space on the shop floor where the set, from 1812, 
is positioned dead centre. Like Signor Bologna, the Punch and Judy man uses marionettes in some of his midnight performances, particularly for the older material, as well as the glove puppets now associated with the show. If you stop to watch, you will see the play being performed, the puppets going through the variants of the stories from midnight through to 3am, with short breaks in between. You will not see the Punch and Judy man, but you may see one or two seated people. Customers, perhaps, paying rapt attention. You may recognise them from the train station or bus stop earlier that day. Who knows how long they plan on staying, or if they will leave. They come to learn, to watch. Hurry by, you will not see them again. So that has been our tour of Pagamon Sea, very briefly. Um, we've had a look at the new estate and Hangman's Walk. Um, the next bonus episode, we will explore a little bit more of the town um, and I'll read a few more relevant bits from the folklore of Pagamon Sea to you. Um, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Sleep well.